Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. It's the uh, pre-Thanksgiving holiday shopping run for me, so I get to talk to you a little bit about something that I've been studying for the past few weeks and um, has been a source of frustration, <laughs> you know, all frankness, um, which is a great paper, one of the top papers in programming languages research uh, history of programming languages research, I think, will be fair to say. It's called Types, Abstraction, and Parametric Polymorphism by John C. Reynolds, one of the greatest programming languages researchers of all time. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this today because I was talking to you last time about um, this sort of this idea of parametric models of uh, type lambda calculus. And my knowledge of this has started out from um, possibly almost negative because I didn't know. I, mean, I, I was a day driver spreading misinformation by trying to talk about it, but I've learned more now and I feel more confident uh, about some points that I'd like to discuss today in the context of this great paper. Um, and this is all in the setting of our dis- continuing discussion of logical relations. It's been going on for a while, but it's a difficult topic. We've been studying it here at the University of Iowa in a reading group. And it's been uh, pretty fruitful. So, um, in this paper, John Reynolds is um, seeking to explain what it means for what parametric polymorphism is. And this was an idea that had been coined, apparently, or proposed by, uh, I believe it was Strachey. Oh, man. Yes, I think so. Uh, And... uh, the, the idea was that a function is supposed to be parametrically polymorphic. It means it works f- sort of uniformly across all types in, in some aspect of its behavior. So, um, it's, you know, so for example, like say you have, you're sorting, let's say sorting, like say you're doing, you're mapping a function over a list. This is like a really classic and straightforward example. You're mapping some function over a list. And so you've got a list of A's, you're mapping a function that's an A to B function, let's say, over this list of A's, and you're going to get a list of B's. And the point was that, of this idea of parametric polymorphism, is that this, your map function, it doesn't know anything at all about the types A and B involved, right? The types of the the elements of the, the, the list and the, the, the starting list and then the elements that the function produces for the end uh, resulting list. It, it doesn't, this, your function is supposed to work for any types whatsoever. And in the absence of some kind of operation within your language that somehow lets you make choices based on the types of your input, which in t- traditionally in typed functional programming languages, this kind of operation has been avoided because um, usually type functional programming languages are trying to compile type to, to type-free uh, you know, operational semantics. So we want to take a typed program and translate it down to a completely untyped program, and therefore it would you know, not be possible to have the untyped program make runtime decisions based on the types of things. Other uh, languages have certainly you know, have had this facility where you can... Uh, you can write code that says things like, well, if the type of this input is this, do, do take option one. If the type of the input is something else, do option two. And um, 
I think even before I studied programming languages, I think I thought that looked pretty gross. And now studying programming languages, I would say that's that's really appalling. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Um, because types are just meant to be a form of, run, of uh, verification. Now, okay, if we're talking runtime verification and runtime typing, then maybe there's more wiggle room that something like that could could be sensible. But for static typing, which is the really the gold standard typing, the kind of typing I think um, is is has most value. Uh, it's um, that's totally impossible. It's just doesn't you just can't do that because you don't have types at runtime. They're only there at compile time. Anyway, so in this. Uh, paper, Reynolds was trying to explain, give a sort of semantic account um, that would make uh, functions, that would try to explain what it means to be a parametrically polymorphic function. And he was led down a path to do this that I did not really appreciate until recently some of the intricacies of this. And uh, just between ourselves, some of the grossness of the, what, what, what he did. Um, sorry. I mean, it's a brilliant paper. I mean, it's definitely advanced the field by a, quite a big jump, but it has lots of problems. And, you know, brilliant work sometimes does. So, uh, in my opinion, it has lots of problems. And in fact, you can, it's not even a matter of opinion because the basic tenet that, or basic goal that Reynolds had in the paper to define a set theoretic semantics of um, system F, so polymorphic lambda calculus, uh, at least according to his own setup, he, he discovered was impossible. So he was kind of, his, this paper, this great, great, well, you know, much uh, lauded paper, rightly so, basically partway through, it's kind of like, well, we can, we're going to try setting things up like this and don't have a proof that this really works, but hopefully it's going to work out. And, and then the next year he published a paper saying it didn't work. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, what, what he does in this is he sets up two semantics for types. I think this is an enormously important idea. He said, and we've talked about some of this sort of thing, maybe even last episode, though I forgot a little bit what I said last time. Um, he sets two semantics up for types. One he calls the set theoretic semantics, which is a pity because the whole thing is set theoretic, so that's not very distinguishing. Um, it'd be better to call it something like the, the function semantics or the object semantics or something like this which you find in some other papers on the topic. And, uh, and then he sets up, so the first semantics of types is trying to s interpret things like the, the type, you know, nat arrow nat, as we talked about last time, as an actual mathematical set theoretic function space, like the set of all, that's, that will represent, will interpret the type nat arrow nat as the set of all nat to nat functions, like set theoretic functions. Um, and so we have this first semantics for types that sort of makes maps these syntactic expression, type expressions, to actual sort of sets of mathematical objects in the way that you kind of make, kind of, you expect them to do. You kind of like, well, okay, nat to nat, sure, that's going to be the set of all nat to nat functions. Um, we get into some deep waters here, just as an aside, because um, it's, it's quite critical for the, the development in his paper that he was working with the type lambda calculus because, as he was well aware of, because the, the, the result was more recent back then, um, Dana Scott had, um, just in the late 60s, I think it was, come up with this brilliant uh, way of interpreting untyped lambda calculus into set theory, which was quite difficult because untyped lambda calculus 
um, allows self-application, which set and set theory does not. Traditional Zermelo-Frankel set theory does not allow you to form a function that can take itself as an input. That's not possible because, well, we could talk about more, more about that another time. But anyway, so Dana Scott had this really totally ingenious, very impressive and sophisticated way of translating untyped lambda calculus into set theory, but it's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty hardcore. And Reynolds didn't need to go into something nearly as technically sophisticated at that point in his development, because he's working with the typed, typed lambda calculus, and so we just say, okay, well, you know, yeah, like I said, the meaning of a, of a function type is the actual function space between the meanings of the domain and codomain parts of that type. So anyway, so we have this first semantics for types, which is the, okay, well, I'll just say the function semantics, okay? And there's then a corresponding semantics for terms. So, you know, lambda x at, you know, lambda x of type nat x, that's a term, that's a syntactic entity. It's just an expression. And he defines a semantics that says that's the, interpreted as the identity function on natural numbers. So lambda expressions, lambda abstractions get interpreted as functions, set theoretic functions. And again, you don't need this um, really remarkable achievement of Dana Scott's to, uh, to do that because the type structure keeps everything um, pretty straightforward. And so you just say, you know, you can just by induction on the structure of the type, you can interpret terms that have that type. And so this is all, this is all very nice and, and um, you know, unsurprising really nowadays, I guess. I don't know how unsurprising that part was at the time, but I, I don't think that was anything too out of, into outer space. But the really clever part was it's saying now we're going to define a second interpretation of types as binary relations on, well, on what? On those things we got from our first semantics for types, right? So you have a type A, okay? And our, our function semantics says, all right, that's a set, some set of mathematical objects. And now the relation semantics for the type A is gonna interpret the type A as a binary relation on that set of mathematical objects. Okay, and so what relations are these that the um, semantics gives you, the relational semantics gives you for types? Well, it's just kind of the ones we're used to from, uh, from considering logical relations. It's just kind of like, okay, uh, I, I don't mean to say this, <laughs> it's hardly old hat or anything, but we're, we're familiar with it now from discussing logical relations for a number of episodes. You know, it says, well, for a, an A to B function, um, that, you know, what that means relationally is that we're going to, um, we're going to relate two functions at type A arrow B if they map related inputs to related outputs. Okay, and we've spelled this out many times, so I think I'll skip spelling it out, what that comes to. Um, and uh, the interesting thing, there are actually a couple uh, funky things to me that come up next. So the whole interest in this is in dealing with parametric polymorphism. So it's in dealing with, um, you know, universal types. You know, so in system F, you can form these types like for all X, X arrow X. That's the type of the polymorphic identity function. It says for any uh, type X you want, this is an X to X function. And interestingly, you know, the only um, terminating function you can write that has that type is, uh, is equivalent to the identity function. Okay, but um, there's, uh, I mean, is the identity function, I guess I have to say. So 
the interesting thing in Reynolds semantics was, uh, to me, there are two points. I, I first point I noticed right away I thought was weird because I'm used to thinking of Curry style typing. So you're thinking of church style typing. That means that um, if we have a polymorphic function, you when you you know you, you need to instantiate the type. So if you have like for all x x r x, you say, oh, I want to use this polymorphic identity function. I want to use this at type bool. So then you say, let's say id is this identity function. You say id of bool. Okay, but, you know, from a perspective of Curry-style typing, um, where types are all erased, and that's the same kind of typing we were talking about a little while ago, where we want to get rid of types at um, runtime. So that, there you say, yeah, that's fine. You want to write down an annotation in your program that says, I'm going to instantiate this, this uh, type quantifier with bool. But in reality, your program doesn't actually get to get isn't actually presented with some kind of runtime representation of the type bool. Um, this is just a type, you know, compile time kind of fiction that your function takes in the bool type or takes in a type. When this case could be, you know, instantiated with bool. Um, but in Reynolds semantics, the the first thing I noticed when I saw this was kind of, oh man, this is this kind of to me not really true to. To, to computational reality, uh, we have um, these kind of types are actual arguments to the to the terms semantically. So we are imagining uh, in Reynolds the function semantics for polymorphic types says they take in um, a set, right? So they take I mean the set being a semantic type. They take in a set and then they have to do something. Okay, then they have to well then they have to be something. It's a it's function semantics is a mathematical, not a computational. Uh, semantics. And um, so, okay, that's a little bit peculiar, but that's fine. That's that's quite standard. It's not like that probably doesn't bother many other people. But, uh, but then the really weird part is then he gets into this pickle, a uh, technical pickle where uh, he, uh, with interpreting um, parametric polymorphism, with interpreting for all types, and the pickle is a little elaborate to explain on the air in the few minutes I have in my um, shopping drive back now. But uh, he is basically, uh, I'll see if I can summarize. So um, an important pr property that he's trying to establish is what he calls identity extension. Okay, And you can find this in many other subsequent works after his seminal paper, identity extension. And it says that if you have a type with some free variables and you, in your relational semantics, let's say you interpret those free variables as the identity relation. Um, now we're in a mathematical semantics, so we're talking about absolute set theoretic identity uh, for the particular type in question. So if you have a, a type variable, let's see, no, how does that work? Okay, uh, I'm a little unsure about that point. If you have a type variable, it's, okay, the basic thing is we're interpreting our type variables as the set theoretic identity relation. He says, well, the meaning of a type is then also the identity relation. Like, for, he has proves his theorem that for all types in his system, in system F, that the, um, the meaning of that type, if you interpret any type variables it has as the identity relation, is also the identity relation. And when I saw this, what's been frustrating to me studying the paper is I've, I've been wrestling with this kind of... So we basically have this enormously elaborate, well, fairly elaborate and de technically complex 
definition of the identity function, like our identity relation. What what the heck is going on? And I finally understood what I'm sure many other more people more expert than I could have explained before me was that. Um, but he has this mathematical semantics, the function semantics, and so um, he's he's kind of the identity extension is is somehow saying that the, in a sense, it's saying that the function semantics comes out correct, I guess. Okay, I guess I'm still a bit unsure about that. But, but I, what I am sure is that um, in his paper, he says that to get this, so oh, as a consequence of this identity extension, the interpretations of closed types are all just the identity relations on the mathematical meanings, uh, you know, on the, sort of on the function semantics. And so, uh, what he notes, though, in the paper is that he kind of runs into problems when he comes when he tries to prove this identity extension lemma for um, universal types, and he basically has to add a condition in the function semantics part. So this is really um, the part that I think I hope to me it's a sign that things have gone wrong, gone awry. <laughs> so he has this nice function semantics. And now, to make things work out the way he set them up, he needs to make the function semantics invoke the relation semantics. So now the two semantics are, are mutually dependent now. They're completely intertwined. I mean, the relation semantics was already dependent on the function semantics because we're saying we're interpreting types as relations on the mathematical objects described by the function semantics. But now we get a reverse dependency where the function semantics, in the case of polymorphic types, um, has to say uh, the meaning of a for all type is it's a set of a mathematical functions which uh, well they, they in the end you say their meanings are related uh, the the meaning of the function under two different uh, relational assignments uh, is um, the, the meanings of the functions are related the meaning of a function is related to itself. So, um, anyway, my technical, you know, in, in facility there, notwithstanding, the point is that the function semantics needs to invoke the relation semantics to get everything to work out smoothly. Um, and this is just, I don't know, I've been struggling through this, uh, particularly with this idea that we're, we're, of identity extension, where we just end up interpreting all these types, the relational semantics just says they're all the identity. And I think that's really because... Um, we're, we're showing, in a sense, with that, we're showing that the function semantics has really pinned things down. Um, it's, it's baked all the program equivalents has gotten baked into the mapping from terms down to their mathematical representations. Ooh, I think I maybe got this now. Could that be? That, um, you know, when we have two functions, like say you have merge sort and quick sort, okay, that are... Um, extensionally the same. They both sort lists of elements, but intentionally they have totally different code, right? That's not, you know, equatable under any sort of natural syntactic transformations. Um, so the identity extension is basically saying, oh, I think this makes sense. I've basically, we've crunched down the differences in programs so much that the um, merge sort and quick sort are mapped to the exact same function. And um, and hence, 
the you know the, the interpretation of the, the the type list to list the relational interpretation of that type can just be the identity function identity relation because merge sort and quick sort are you know related they have the same extensional behavior and we've squished them down to the exact same mathematical function which is an impressive achievement um and, and definitely one worth reflecting on. And subsequent papers have extended this to fancier type systems. They've extended the semantics to try to deal with the fact that the Reynolds semantics, as he discovered the very next year, um, wasn't going to work out, uh, said theoretically. So um, anyway, types, abstraction, and parametric polymorphism. Uh, we're actually, in our reading group, we're preparing a little key to some of the notations in the paper, because the paper is um, beautifully written, but quite dense. The notation is really quite nice, but also really dense. And there's a fair bit of it. And we're actually trying to make a little key, which maybe I'll post on my blog or something um, for those who try to, to study the paper and trying to wade through the technicalities. So, okay. Well, it's been a long episode here, but then don't get a chance to release these too often. So um, thank you for listening. I hope you're well wherever you are. Um, enjoying um, enjoying good vaccine news, if nothing else. Take care.